Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. His name is Nick Nettleton, and he is the founder and CEO of Loft Digital. In this episode, we talk about how we can move faster in health tech, why having a CTO is so important, why clinicians are vital in health tech startups, and why is data strategy so important in any company. This is a great episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Nick, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, so, Nick, uh, if for those who don't know who you are, do you guys do you mind giving people a little introduction of what who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Zane. So, um, as Zane said, I'm Nick Nettleton. Um, I live in London, in England, um, and uh, I'm a techie. I've been building uh, platforms, digital platforms, for decades. Um, and I'm the CEO and founder of Loft Digital, which is a company I set up uh, 16 years ago now um, to provide that sort of capability as a service to, to, to clients here in the UK and worldwide. Very interesting. So, um, yeah, so you've been consulting for quite a while um, and you are recently getting into the healthcare sector. So do you mind giving us a little give me, giving us a little about what you do in the healthcare sector? What kind of what, what do you provide and kind of go from there? Yeah, sure. So, so I've got, um, I've always been interested in, 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 in health as a sector we could get into. Um, there was a big project in the, in the early 2000s here in the UK to try to modernize the NHS, um, which failed. The government spent a lot of money on it. It wasn't successful. And I was really curious as to, as to why this was. Um, it was big in the news at the time. Um, but really, it, it all began for me when my eldest son was born. Um, in hospital in North London about seven years ago. And, uh, and I realized that in, in this hospital, um, the technology that the staff were using was far behind what I have in my house or my phone, and, and certainly behind anything that I felt I would be happy with my clients having. And, um, and, 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 and they were really struggling. It was a difficult experience as, as, as childbirth is. And that really inspired me to think about how can we take our skills from, from business, building big, fast-growing businesses, how can we take our skills into the, into the health sector and do something that's going to make a difference there? Yeah, I think what you mentioned here with healthcare being so far behind, it's globally, I think, like even here, I'd say like 10 to 15 years behind, I was talking to one of my cousins and I was talking about how, I, you know, how we can use CRMs in healthcare and have touch points and this and that. And he was looking at me like I had like eight heads. He's like, dude we've been doing this for like this has been like 10 15 years ago like what the hell is going on there and i'm like it, it's it's just so we're so so far behind and then you coming you know I li- that's why i like, love talking to people outside of the healthcare world like you coming into the healthcare world what were do, can you see like why healthcare is so far behind or like what is causing us to like be be slow basically um i think I think there are quite a few factors at play. I mean, first, it's uh, uh, um, in the UK, the, the, the NHS is a huge organisation. I, I think it's one of the biggest employers in the world. And that, that just brings with it a sort of natural 
kind of lethargy, if you like, um, or, or, you know, it's like turning a tanker to bring in any change. It's also that very highly regulated and the consequence of issues or things not, not working out, it, 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 it's not a space where you can move fast and break things. The consequence is potentially people's lives. And, and I think that makes people very, very nervous. So when they're looking at the risk of technology change, that, that, that goes straight into the calculus. But then, of course, the counter argument is, well, if we don't modernise, we're also affecting people's lives. So, so actually, there has to be progress. How, how do we do that? Um, and then I think thirdly, in, in tech, we've learned over the years that projects move fast and are successful when you build stuff and iterate and test and try and iterate and improve and refine, whereas health it, it tends to see things as big projects, big endeavours, um, where we plan and we you know, spend years planning, we spend years building, then we launch it. We know what the outcome is going to be. So I think it's, it's a really difficult or has been a really difficult place for health to move into to, to realise often tech, you build something, you don't, you don't really know what's going to happen until you get real people using it. To get into that sort of fast feedback cycle has been a challenge, but, but it's happening. You know, we're seeing a lot of change. I think that the pandemic really changed the risk calculus there as well for a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of people in health, where they, the risk of not doing anything was huge. So there was a sudden change there and a big appetite for new technology. Um, so I hope that we'll, we'll see that really feeding in over the next few years, that the pace of change continues. Yeah. So being in healthcare, I can definitely sympathize with the planning forever. And then the other problem with that is, and, and you kind of touched on a great point, and I never really even thought about this, is we plan for so long. It can be like years, sometimes even a decade. And then by the time it comes out, that technology is already old, right? And so you've been working towards this thing. It's already old when it comes out and you're kind of where you started. And I do agree with you, the pandemic really pushed things forward because we were forced into this thing where healthcare had to start thinking like tech and we had to quickly like figure out things on the fly, figure it out. And I agree with you. I, I mean, we are seeing people kind of going backwards again to that planning forever phase, but hopefully we can find that happy medium in the middle. What do you think is that happy medium? You know, like, do you think, I mean, I always think that it would be nice to have um, organizations or some sort of structure to help technology companies iterate in healthcare. What do you think about something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got, I mean, we've got that in other sectors that we can, we can look at. So finance is another highly regulated sector, which might, might not always seem to be, be very responsible, um, which health needs to be. But, but you know, nevertheless, um, a lot of good, good technology has been developed there. And we've seen it in lots of other, other spaces and sectors. Whereas if you work really closely with your users, your end users, build really good relationships with them and commit to them to designing and building products for them and listen to their feedback and iterate quickly, take on their feedback and make changes, you, you can move quite quickly. And then obviously there's a, you know, in health, there's a clinical dimension to this and that, that needs to be risk managed, yes. But I think we can separate out things about user experience and product design and, and, and deal with them in a slightly different way. One of one of the one of the sort of big. I mean, this ties back to my my own experience. One of, one of my concerns about about health, certainly when I got into it, was that I felt that patients were very much treated as a sort of a, a passive object that needs to be processed by the system as quickly as possible, and that that that's quite concerning to me because really, as a patient, you're you're an agent in your own healthcare. You're you're a really influential person in that process, and. I feel that good technology 
on needs to create efficiencies, needs to work well for the patient and, and all the users, the nurses, the doctors, the clinicians. Once we start to see users as, as, as important people on our sort of graph, our design graph, our system graph, and think about what they need and how they can collaborate effectively, I think things can work much, much better. Um, I love your, I love that. And I completely agree with you on the patients moving through the system. I think you said it was a passive object. And, you know, I have a lot of, I've talked about this a couple of times where one of the things that kind of where I was just like, what are we doing moment is, you know, seeing the same patient come in over and over again every month for the same disease or same problem. And, you know, we just fix them up, send them off and they're back three weeks later. And like, obviously there's a bigger issue outside of the disease that they're coming in for and no one is helping them. So we as a system has failed them. You know, everyone looks at the patient like, oh, you know, they suck, this, this, this. But I believe in a system like a system, you're only going to be as good as you're only going to be as good as your system allows you to be. And our system is failing our patients, at least here in America. And it sounds like it's similar out in the UK. Um, and it's really disheartening. And I think that some of it is because of technology, because there's been it just hasn't been implemented properly, like EHRs and such like they again, they were planned out for so long. And when they came out, they really weren't. I mean, they really didn't solicit from doctors and users, right? And then now they're so big and they're such a part of our system. It's just really hard to move move on from that. But um, I love I love the fact that you said that tech companies should create relationships with um, healthcare organizations. You know, you being a consultant, kind of walking into healthcare, have you found creating those relationships difficult? Or if you or if they have been difficult, how have you kind of kind of cross that bridge to gain that trust? Oh, that's a <clears throat> that's a really good question. Um, uh, my own experience is that healthcare organisations have been really open and really excited about building relationships and talking about new ideas. So that's that's been you know wonderful and bright, passionate, energetic people who want who want to do something good and make a change. So no 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 challenges on that front. But what what has been a challenge is to move projects from that sort of this is a great idea stage into now we're doing something, you know, even if it's just a prototype or a proof of concept. So I, I, my sense is that there's um, there are better processes and structures are needed to support that, to make sure that innovation is really coming through the health system rather than sort of always happening on the periphery or, or, or you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue with a lot of startups in health here in the UK um, burning out of money before their idea gets taken up, despite the fact that everyone thinks the idea is great, it's going to make a big difference. So, it, you know, it's heartbreaking. People invest a lot of time, a lot of their life, a lot of a lot of money and effort in, in, in making something that's going to make a difference. Um, that could have made a difference to a lot of people, and then it and then and then it goes because it hasn't, you know, it hasn't caught the attention of the right people. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So, 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 sort of building on that. Sorry, Zane, I had some thoughts building on that, and then they they escaped me. <laughs> it's okay. okay. Um, yeah, no, and I think I I agree with you. There's there's a lot of excitement around ideas, but when it comes to implementation and moving forward, so like you know, obviously in the tech world, there's like concepts of MVPs and like iterating, moving forward. It seems like in healthcare, healthcare is really scared of. Like mean for people that don't know, MVP means mean viable product. It's the minimum product that can kind of go out there and show what you do. It seems like in healthcare, it's like afraid of that, and I, and I understand why. Like you know, we have to be, we have other people's lives in hands. But you know, I think that culture of innovation just needs to 
be in healthcare. Like, I feel like healthcare is so, it's, it's kind of weird, right? We are there to help others, but then we look for others to help us. And we never really try to help ourselves, if that makes sense. What are your thoughts on that? In, in, interesting question. I don't, I don't really know. I think, I think, I mean, in tech, there's quite a high barrier to entry already. It's quite, it's you know, difficult to, to code and build a product, isn't it? I've met lots of clinicians, actually, who are really passionate about technology and, and some who are going on to learn to code to, to create solutions to conditions that they're really familiar with. And that's great and really exciting. Um, but they're obviously often very busy with their clinical work. So it's quite difficult. So they, they want to work with people like us um, to help build, build products. But what, what, one of the challenges, I think, for all innovators and all, in fact, all product development in, in, in health is that the, the barriers to getting from a good idea, an MVP, not even MVP, a prototype, proof of concept that works, brilliant, you know, I've got a few sort of R&D patients who are friends, you know, with a condition that I know about, and I've built a product that works for them, um, to something that can actually work with real data in real life is, is huge, isn't it? Because you've got all the, if, you're, if, it's a, if it's a medical product, you've got the clinical obligations or the clinical compliance around that. And even if not, you've got a lot of sensitive data. So you've got a lot of regulatory compliance around um, in, in the UK and EU GDPR um, around protecting that data. You need to have like really good user management, really good authentication, really good audit logs. You need to know where your data is being processed. There's all of this stuff that's difficult to sort out. Um, and that's a that's a sort of valley of death um, for a lot of a lot of innovators. Um, so we actually we've been looking at this. I mean, we've built I've probably built hundreds of product, products over the years. And what what we've identified is that loads of this stuff is basically the same. So you've got your exciting innovation, which is really cool, brilliant. You know, I've got a, a solution to people with um, fertility problems, or I've got a solution that can help people with um, Crohn's or some other chronic condition. Uh, complex PTSD, whatever it is, there's lots of these conditions out there. Um, but a whole bunch of the underlying technology that they need to sort of build on top of is sort of the same. It's, it's, it's a business overhead. But you've got to do it. You can't avoid it. So what, what we're doing at the moment is we're identifying that. We're creating a platform which does all of that for you. It's basically all the boring stuff that all, 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 all health products need. Um, we're calling it Platform Bio. It's in, in use now um, by a couple of products. It's really exciting. Um, and we think it's about the first sort of six months of development, if you like. So people can build their MVP on top of that. They can take that up to a big, global, scalable platform. Um, good support for kind of multi-language internationalization, all of that, all of that sort of scale-up type of stuff. Um, so we're hoping that will really help lots of innovators move fast and overcome some of those, those kind of early barriers from getting from kind of good idea to real products with real users. That's awesome. Uh, you did my job for me. I was about to just uh, segue into your platform. So do you mind giving us a little background? So would you guys giving us a little like what your platform does, like what kind of components that you guys provide to kind of speed that process up? Because six months is a lot of time. That's a lot of money that you're saving uh, for these people. People. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first thing it does is it's got a, it's got a, it's got a good model or pattern or overall kind of process for structuring your product. So it's a nice... There's a, a kind of a back-end like management system, um, uh, databases for both operational data and reporting data, potentially research data. Um, there's um, a, a sort of an overall architecture that enables you to run, for instance, some mobile applications off that, to run um, perhaps uh, clinical portals or business portals or whatever. 
um, the sort of things we've identified that, that lots of clients need. And of course, um, APIs um, are really crucial in health. Everybody wants to build, build their data as an asset and create a service out of it that they can enable other companies to plug into. Um, so that's the sort of architectural stuff. And then some of the, some of the core things that everybody needs in that, in that kind of management interface are around um, user management, um, authentication, um, if we've got users accessing a platform through um, a number of different interfaces, devices, how does that work and how do we manage that securely and compliantly? Um, a big problem if you're doing business in different areas of the world because user data processing often has to happen in the, in, 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 in the local territory or approved territory. In the EU, it needs to happen in the EU. Um, and, uh, and then we've got some um, models for um, patients, uh, clinicians, um, scientific researchers. So you can create different interfaces and enable workflows between these different groups of users. Um, audit trails, audit logging, um, messaging systems. So there's a, there's a kind of all that, all that kind of routine functionality. Um, if you like, it's like a sort of nuts and bolts for building your engine. Um, and then you can kind of leverage those to make your engine special. I love it. Um, so, yeah, no, that's amazing. I think, like you said, a lot of the things that most people need are the same. And so I have a couple of questions. So if you're somebody that doesn't have a tech background, is this, is your platform something that they should, they, they, that would, I guess I should say, do I need a tech background or a programming background to use your platform? Um, at the moment, yeah. So you would need, you would need to work with a, a developer, um, such as us, obviously, to, to, to use that and work with that. Um, but the idea is that once the once the kind of fundamentals are in place, it hands over as much sort of power and control as as, as possible to 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 the people who are building the product, the owners of the product, um, so they can manage all of that directly with the users. And over time, we envisage making more and more of the functionality and capability stuff that you can work with within the within the interface. Um, what it, what it's not is a sort of a you know like a, a square space for health apps. I think. That's that's probably um, not quite the right time because I think managing you, that that data and managing all of that stuff is 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 is, is complex and needs a lot of compliance around it. So that's probably a, 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 a somewhere into the future. Very cool, very cool. Um, so you are based in the you, obviously you're based in England, um, and you were mentioning about the EU. Uh, can your platform also be used from? Can tech companies from the United States uh, come to you and use your platform? Are you guys like HIPAA certified and all that stuff? Not HIPAA certified, but 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 that's certainly something that can be achieved. It can be hosted anywhere, um, so it's not it's not a case of that you know we've got it running on a stack and you've got to build your platform out of that. It can be installed on your your AWS or your Google Cloud wherever you've got that wherever you've got that running. Um, so that enables all the data to be processed locally. Got Python level access to code. Um, mobile, it's written in Flutter. So it's all good, good programming language that everybody can work with. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I mean, that sounds great. I think that that's a service that I think a lot of, a lot of people need, you know, me being a former founder, having no technical background, it's really hard to kind of see, you know, look at what you're, you know, looking at code or trying to figure out what is right, what is wrong. And, you know, I think that's where uh, people like you are great. And then, also, we can touch on maybe like CTOs, why CTOs are important and, you know, kind of the service that you guys can provide with that as well. Yeah, sure. Well, um, so I'm, I've been, I'm, I'm a bit of an old dog in the industry. I've been working working in, in tech companies for a long time, 27 years. So um, in, increasingly, I've noticed that um, 
smaller businesses, it's a real struggle for them to sort of find and resource the right level of expertise to help them make those key tech decisions. Um, it doesn't often doesn't make sense to hire a full-time CTO. Um, and then sometimes there's a sort of a bit of a gap there between um, the founder and whoever's sort of on the ground do, do, doing their engineering or the nuts and bolts of it. So um, I'm, I'm working increasingly with clients as a sort of fractional CTO, providing you know, whether it's an hour, hour, hour every now and then, or just someone to chat to about a problem, or, or if it's a regular sort of gig of you know a day or two a month. Um, I'm really happy to do that and bring 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 my expertise to the table. So um, for those that don't know, right, like sometimes, I mean, it might sound dumb, but like some people don't know what a CTO does. Do you mind going into what, why it's important to have a CTO and, you know, having somebody that with knowledge of like the tech side when you're building a health tech startup? Yeah, sure. So, so, so really, 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 actually, I've, I've, I've noticed that um, we're involved in quite a few accelerators and incubators where we provide mentoring. And I've noticed that I'm the only tech mentor on, on quite a few of these and a lot of um, founders are kicking off their products without a, a clear plan about their technology or their data um, and that's a bit worrying I think because you can set out a vision for your products and, and, and what you're going to achieve but if you haven't worked out like well how are we actually going to build this, what are the nuts and bolts of how we're going to build this um, then you don't know if it's going to be achievable, first of all, or, or what the fastest route is. And then what we're seeing is that for their first sort of couple of efforts at building a product, people often kind of run into those like classic problems with tech. You know, it was built wrong, it was built in the wrong place, the code is disastrous, we fell out with the developers. Um, they got it over the line, but the standards are wrong. Um, we don't know who owns the IP. We didn't collect the data. There's, we had security. I mean, it's all, this is a whole world of bear pits in there. Um, and I think what you really need early in your journey is someone who you can really trust um, and someone who knows like the nuts. So they've been there, seen it, done it in tech. Um, and they can sit there sort of alongside you to help you foresee these issues and plot a course that's going to work for your business. Um, a bit like, I mean, early in your journey, you, you always get an accountant and a lawyer, right, to make sure that your finance is well organized and that your contract is safe. You need the same. You need someone in that tech function to help you with that. Um, and tech as well, you know, as well as tech, I think it's really important to talk about data because you, 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 tech is, is sort of disposable. You can build your, you can build a platform, you can build it again, you can replace bits. Your data, you, you won't have the opportunity to go back and collect that again. You know, you get that sort of first thousand users through. Going back and recollecting that data or changing the structure of it or reprocessing it or, or whatever, that's really difficult. Um, so data is something where we think it's, it's, it's really important to think up front about what you want and how to organize it and what you want to get out of it and have a have a purposeful plan. Yeah, I think you're, after hearing that, I think a lot of people are going to get some PTSD. I've heard some pretty uh, bad horror stories of people working with developers and literally everything you mentioned has happened to one or multiple people that I, I mean, I know multiple people that's happened to, unfortunately. So if somebody wants to use you as a fractional CTO, do they also need to use your services, like use your platform, or will you also work with their developers that they're working with currently? Yeah, not at all. They don't need to use our services. They need to use our platform. Um, we are. Um, my, my passion is just working on tech, helping people build great products. That's what I love. So um, if somebody wants to um, work with us, I do, I do a number of projects where clients have um, a number of existing suppliers, including some, 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 some big businesses. 
um, and we help them work with their suppliers, have good relationships, um, make sure the contracts are right, make sure there are good um, working processes and practices in place. They've got code review, they've got good developer standards, um, that the clients know the code, they can see the code, they can see the data, all of these things that are, 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 are really important. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's great. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, just going through the process of trying to build something and not having like a technical, I mean, now I, I kind of taught myself how to code. I'm not a developer by any stretch, but I, I can kind of look through code a little bit, but it's still like foreign to me. Like, you know, I won't be able to see like, oh, this is, doesn't look right. This is not the best standards. This, because the other thing with, with, uh, with developing is you want to make something that's efficient, right? And Sometimes being efficient is not the easy way, right? It's not the path of it's not the path of research. Like so that's the other thing, like having people like you is you can see like is the code efficient? Is your you know, pulling data, you know, from cloud you know, is it gonna be efficient? Because that also creates a lot of waste and money, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um I mean there are so many ways because you because if if you if your sort of platform architecture isn't is it isn't sort of nicely thought out up front and this is a design process really actually um as well it's a technical design isn't it if you if you design the right platform architecture up front you, you'll save a fortune and money down the line as you work through that project and if you break down often what people find is that when they embark on a project and they release it maybe you know 30 to 60 percent of the code and functionality they created the users are not interested in you really you, you don't know that before you put your product out you you can only hypothesize what are going to be the good bits. So what we want clients to do is to focus on getting out small increments of stuff, find out what the user's like, and spend less time and money building things that, that, that are going to work, more time and money building things that users want. Um, but also, you know, once we kind of go down into the code, designing that really well, um, making sure it's maintainable, making sure that um, it's probably really good. Of course, I mean, that's going to save you a, a fortune in money. Um, and crucially, that is portable. I think it's really important to recognize you want to create a technology that is easy for um, other people to work with um, so that you can, you know, you might work with an outsource company, you want to in-house it, you might build it in-house, but at some point you've got to do some big projects and heavy lifts, you want to get some other, you know, some other uh, an outsource company to do that. Um, the more you've got things organized in ways that are intelligible to other developers, the easier that's going to be. Definitely. Um... Yeah, like because yeah, it's because if you're going back and forth between developers or your in-house team, and you know, the handoff process can get uh, pretty messy, from what I've heard. Yeah, it can. I, th it's, I mean, it's really worth talking about it at the beginning, actually, of the relationship. I'm I'm really keen on this, um, to make sure that when whenever we're working with people or or, or, or helping them with other suppliers, that we talked about what the sort of end game looks like, so everybody's on the same page. People don't get upset and protective. Everybody knows, you know, our job here is just to build a great product and then work together to work out what the sort of long term is as well. Um, so. Yeah, that's awesome. I also wanted to talk about, um, you know, different sectors, right? You've worked in with finance, whatever. Uh, now you're coming into healthcare. Um, what are like the biggest differences that you see between like the healthcare sector specifically versus others? Like, um, I don't know if that question makes sense, but like, you know, coming, it's coming from outside looking in, what are the things that's, that surprise you the most in healthcare? Um, I mean, one of, one of the, the first things that surprised me was the complexity, just a level of complexity of it. So the, um, 
I'm 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 a data geek, so that that I always like to start with. Well, I start with I like to start a project with thinking about the humans and the people, and the next thing I want to think about the data and then the technology, like the plumbing between all of that, isn't it? And, and the data in health is really complicated. Um, it's just loads of it, and um, and 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 in a sense, that's great. I mean, that's one area of health. I, I think people in health tend to do themselves down. They're like, oh, it's a bad industry. We feel really bad, but actually, it is. I mean, you know, it's human biology. It's complicated, isn't it? Um, and and the, the 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 extent and depth and complexity of the data that's captured to represent all of this stuff is 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 there and it's really detailed. So it took a it took a long time for me to really start to understand my way around some of these kind of different data domains within health. Um, but once you do, that's great, and you can start to build really good systems working with them. So that 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 was one thing. Um, Another thing um, that I noticed, well, actually, I mean, going back to this sort of subject about people in people in health sort of do, do, doing themselves down, I, I, I do get a sense that the industry, certainly in the UK, has a, a bit of a negative self perception, and this is perhaps linked to the some of the challenges with with innovation. Um, yeah, but actually, it does, you know, in many ways, it's a really really amazing job, and um, and it's also. Sort of staff, people I'm meeting in health are really driven by passion and energy, and often a really close relationship with the very conditions they focus on solving. Many, many, many of the innovators I've met um, uh, focus on building products that serve conditions that they've got and their own experience of trying to deal with those. You know, whether it's like a rare, a rare eye disease, but not to work in that space. Whether it's um, we mentioned PTSD before, complex PTSD, depression, menopause. There are lots of conditions that are quite hard for the health service to handle through its normal systems, and people are, are sort of looking for opportunities to build tech to do that. So that's exciting. The extent to which the industry is driven by personal passion and personal experience is really something that really stands out um, compared to other industries. Um, so that's exciting. Um, but the you know the challenge to innovating is there, and you know it's there and present. I think it's something lots of people want to solve, but it's something that they struggle with. Um, thank you, man. Uh, I can completely sympathize with what you said. I think we are, I mean, me included. I get very down on us. We're like, oh man, we can't. You know, we've been trying to solve the same problem for for my whole career. It seems like right. Uh, but you are absolutely right. I think that there's so much passion and so much drive in the community, the healthcare community. And my big thing is all we need to do is direct that drive and passion in a direction and just give them the opportunity to just try something and go pa uh, past their passion. Cause I think there's, there's so much, and you, and you kind of touched on this so much out there and so many brilliant people that are just, that just feel like they're stuck. They don't feel like they have an avenue out or, and that's where like people like you come in. That's why I was really excited to talk to you. It's like, you know, that's why I want to get out to people is like, hey, you have a great idea. You might not know where to go. You know, reach out to Nick and they can maybe help you out either as a fractional CTO, as a sounding board, or, you know, you can use your platform. And I think that once people start realizing what's out there, because healthcare people don't really understand tech in the sense that we don't know how to build things. We know how to fix things, but we really don't necessarily are never taught how to build anything. And that's why where people like you come into play. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And that's my passion is building products. That's it. You know, we start with a human problem and then uh, the job of technology is to, 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 to solve that problem. And that's, you know, that's the job. That's what I love. So, yeah. Yeah. Get two passionate people together, man. You can get, you can solve a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people 
that are pat just based on passion alone. I mean, that gives you resilience. That gives gives you like just mental fortitude because you're like, no, I know this is going to work, and I'm going to make it work. So, I mean, that's great to hear. I want to also talk about, and you you may not you don't have to really go into too many details, but you know, working with clinical founders versus non clinical founders. What do you think? Do you think it's really helpful to have clinical founders uh, if you're building a healthcare startup? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we work, we do, we do projects with, um, or I am doing projects with a number of non-clinical founders, but they always bring on um, a clinical specialist as a key, a key member of the team, um, who might be just, you know, supporting them for a few hours a month. You know, a bit like having a fractional CTO, a sort of fractional chief medical officer or chief clinical officer. I think, I think that's invaluable. But for for, cert- for certain sort of areas, I think clinical founders bring in, in invaluable kind of in-depth experience of, of a condition. Um, I met a, a clinician um, who works in ICU intensive care unit um, in the UK. Um, he's also doing, um, completed a, a PhD um, and he's developing AI algorithms that will help um, clinicians when confronted with sepsis um, to know what um, types of decisions they can make, what types of things that are likely to lead to a better outcome. Um, and uh, now I don't know about this field, but he was explaining to me that Texas is one of the biggest causes of death in hospitals. And um, there are so many factors and variables at play. It's incredibly difficult, even for an experienced doctor, to really know what the right course of action is, is here. Um, so using his own expertise, his own frontline experience, he's been developing and refining algorithms over, it must be 10 years now, um, gathering data from from all sorts of devices and sources around that patient, and using them to try to analyze and predict what what what, what a, a good um, course of action might be. And I think that's amazing. I mean, without that detailed like frontline experience of dealing with hundreds and hundreds of patients, you know, in that situation, he he, he wouldn't have that unique knowledge that enables him to develop those algorithms. So I mean, you know, I think I think that's amazing. Um, and an amazing person because there you go he's developing algorithms and then in the evening he's back at ICU and then he's supervising his PhD students I mean you know wow incredible yeah no that sounds amazing and yes sepsis is one of the biggest uh, money drain I shouldn't say money drains it's one of the biggest um, costs in hospital systems you know because patients and a lot of times sometimes patients don't come in with sepsis so they're they're in for something else they get a hospital acquired infection and and he's absolutely right. If they're not on a lot of monitoring or whatever, it's really hard to identify until, until and unless the patient starts crashing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's another thing that, you know, we've all been trying to figure out is if we can identify sepsis earlier, A, obviously, number one thing, patient gets saved, right? Because sepsis can literally kill you. And then B, also, it helps the hospital save a lot of money as well. Uh, so that that's awesome to hear. And, you know, the passion, like you've mentioned, right, this guy is... I don't know when he would be sleeping. I mean, really, like, when is this guy sleep? That's amazing. I don't think he sleeps. Yeah, and then we, you know, and he carried on through through the coronavirus pandemic. He was in ICU doing all of that, and then at the same time, you know, he did, he didn't stop. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, and so I mean, and what we can do to help, you know, he's obviously a competent techie. He can, you know, he can work with data. He can develop AI, but he needs to be doing that stuff that his he only he knows. You know, there's only. You know, this chap and maybe, you know, a few hundred of them around the world have this level of knowledge about about sepsis and AI and how I can create an algorithm. So we don't want him to be building like, you know, the boring technical stuff and user management system, all that kind of thing. You know, let him do what he's special at, um, or what, what he's really a, a specialist at, what he really understands. 
And then um, techies like, like, like me, we can say, right, well, this is how we can wrap around accrediting a product that can be compliant, be approved, that can go to market, you know, that can do all of that stuff that people need from a product. Yeah, 100%. I think that you touched on something really good. And again, back to like why people are you are so important is we can really focus on what we are really good at. And if, again, if you get, if you get experts in the room, the reason why you hire experts is to save time and then time equals money. And you're going to just by saving time, you're saving money. And also you can get to market quicker, right? And hopefully start making money quicker. <laughs> so, um, I do. So, you know, you're, you say you're a techie, um, and not say you are, you, you are a techie. You've been in the industry for over 20 years. What excites you the most about uh, technology and healthcare? Like what is coming down the line that maybe we all haven't seen, but you know, you are seeing that really excites you? Oh, good question. I'm not, I'm not much of a forecaster because it always surprises me what happens. I mean, this year, this year is really the year of data, isn't it? Or it, it is, it is certainly here in, here in, here in the UK and Europe. Um, data has been exciting for a long time. I've been excited about data for a long, long time. Um, long before, you know, we were talking about big data, but, but, I think with the sort of all, all the sort of consequences of the like economic challenges at the moment, everybody's like really focused on data. How can we make the most out of it? Um, so we're doing loads of work in that space at the moment, and that's fun and that's exciting. Um, as you know, as for what else is, is, I don't know right now. That's completely fine. So we can touch on data a little bit. I I love data too. I'm kind of a data nerd as well. So you kind of mentioned like there's some issues with data in healthcare. Uh, first, you mentioned there's a breadth of data, but there's also, at least here in America, there's a lot of proprietary data. There's a lot of cleaning that needs to be done. Can you guys explain, can you explain to people, like, you can't just take the data that you're given. You, there's a there's a system, there's there's something that the data has to go through to be usable. Could you kind of go down what that is? That is. Yeah. Um, I'll sort of, I'll sort of zoom out a little bit on this, actually. So you, you've got... Um, Really, whatever 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 business you're in, you've got masses of data flowing through your business. You probably haven't even realised what it is until you start to write it down. And what 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 I picked up is that in lots of businesses, the kind of data is thought of as that's that's the techies' domain. That the, you know the engineers know the database. I let, let's let them sort that out. And I don't agree with that model. I think it I think it's really disempowering. Um, so I like to work with boards and founders and leadership teams to help them have a really good understanding of their data because it's because it's about it's in fact for many it's the most valuable asset that they're building in their business. Um, it's what can can drive sort of value and product sales and decision making all sorts for for for, for decades to come. Um, so sort of through through this process, and I, I've I've been doing some workshops with some some founders. Um, we've developed something that. We're calling the loft data canvas. There's a really, there's a really famous um, thing called the lean startup canvas, which loads of people know about, created by Steve Black. It's brilliant. Um, and that, and that sort of, I was thinking about a structure to help um, founders think through data. And I, oh, I know, I'll borrow that idea. So we created the loft data canvas, and it, it's sort of similar. It has some columns. And what we asked founders to do is to brainstorm. They do this on their own, or they could do this within their team. They can present it back to other founders and, and have debates. Is to brainstorm first of all what are the um, what are the outputs of their business what what are the valuable the, the 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 things that they can create that other people can consume so it might be insights or it might be um uh, uh, oh, for example um, I was talking to someone who's got a concept for a business that's going to put um epipens in every school and every 
public place around the UK. Really exciting. It's a smart device connected to the internet. It's going to generate loads of data. And that data, um, if it records whenever that EpiPen is used, can provide a map of um, incidents around the, around the UK, around the world. And that's really valuable data for public policy, for government, for all sorts of things. Um, and they can start to link that up with allergy. So, so the question then is, well, with this data, what can we do? Who can consume it? Um, we've got clients, we've got investors, we've got other businesses who can plug that in. Government, um, end users might want it on their devices. So many ways that could be used. Um, and how do you make it value? You might, might want to match it up against other public data sets about, you know, um, uh, 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 local dietary habits or, you know, or, or local allergy maps or uh, whatever it might be, um, local pollution maps. And then once you start thinking like that, you then think about what your data sources are. Where's my data coming from? Oh, you know, okay, we're going to collect a whole bunch of data from our smart devices. But we've also got a bunch of users with mobile apps, they're hammering your data. We've got, you know, there are public data sets you work out where your data is coming from. And once you've figured out that sort of how can it be used and where's it coming from, um, and by the way, whenever people brainstorm this, they start to think of more and more ideas, which is really cool. And that's where the really interesting ideas come out. Um, then you just start to think about the plumbing between them and what's, you know, how are we going to analyse it, how are we going to process it, how are we going to clean it, how are we going to store it, um, Let's brainstorm all of our storage places. It's not just sitting in AWS. We've probably got a whole bunch of stuff in Google Drive and spreadsheets. We've got a CRM system. All of these systems have data in them. That's part of your business data. So let's put that on the map and think about it. Um, and then you've obviously got to think about consent. Really important. You know, we're working with people's data. What consents do we need to deliver these data pipelines? Um, how are we going to secure it? Are we going to just keep it in sort of regular databases? Are we going to look like look at kind of blockchain type solutions? Um, and then you might think about obviously your your legal stuff, your data protection agreements, your regulatory stuff, and your KPIs. Like how are we gonna how are we gonna measure? What's the objective of all of this, and how are we gonna measure it? Um, so yeah, we did. We've done that. It's, it's, it's been really great. Um, I had some really amazing feedback from the workshops. Um, some founders right afterwards have gone straight to their investors and said, "Look, you know, here's the plan." Or Straight to their, you know, um, straight to their legal team. Right? How do I get consent for this stuff? What are the, what are the, what are the things? Um, and from that, you can sort of prioritize and and build a, a, a strategy, a purposeful strategy for your business, for your data from the start. And as a founder, you know now what your data strategy is for your business, what your objectives are, and you can ask your engineering team to work with you to specify that in detail. So your database isn't hidden away anymore. It's something that you. As a, as, a, as, a, as a business asset, it's something that you can own, you can look at and you can see and you know why it's the way it is. Um, so I think that's exciting. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Uh, I think more people need to do that. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, like usually when you're starting something, it's like, oh, you know, we'll just have the dev team create the database architecture and this and that. And But the dev team's not the founders. The dev team is not coming up with the ideas. The dev team is literally just doing what you're telling them. So if you have an understanding of the data architecture, you can be, you can create something much bigger than what you thought it was. And I love that idea. So these workshops, um, how, how often do you hold them? Where do you hold them? Oh, whenever people want to, and it can be online or in person, but yeah, just if, if someone reaches out, they want to do the workshop, we can do the workshop. And then it's something that, um, yeah, I was, I was thinking about maybe I could do it as a sort of a regular scheduled event and people, people can turn up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that idea, man. I, I man, I 
That's, I mean, to me, that's exciting. I don't know. I mean, I'm just like a nerd. Uh, I find that stuff really fascinating and exciting, uh, personally. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean. But, sorry, Zane, but building on what you said about, it, it was really interesting what you just said about, um, you know, that's it, the data, I, I, I let the techies build it. But if it's your most valid, imagine if you bought a house, but you never went to see it. Or imagine if you had a property portfolio, but you never went to see any of your properties. That's what it's like, I think, when people are building a data business, but they don't understand the data. It's like, so it almost by starting out with a clear purposeful data strategy and really owning that. Like my sense is if you can't see something, you're not really sure whether you own it or not, right? Or you're not sure exactly what it is you've got. So um, giving that kind of transparency and visibility, I think is, is exciting and, and really empowering. 100%. And healthcare is almost everything in healthcare that's built is built off of data. Healthcare, if you're building a healthcare app or tech app, it's all data driven, 100%, not I shouldn't say 100%, but mainly data driven, right? You need, we need inputs to, you know, like, hey, this person has this and why did it, why, why are we treating them this way? Like, it's all based on data. So it makes complete sense for, sure. it's almost like, you know, it's like me going into a person's room trying to diagnose them without any labs, anything, like literally nothing, right? Like, it's going in blind and it does so it doesn't make sense to me that people don't really think about the data architecture too much maybe because i think a lot of it is because they think it's boring but i think when you talk to people like yourself or you really look into it it can be really fun and exciting and it can really push your product forward and not hold it back yeah that's absolutely i agree i think people do people do think that or can think that data is boring and dry um you know, a bit like the old days when people thought tech was rather boring and then suddenly it was an exciting rock star thing to do. But yeah, not, you know, data's getting there. I think, it, I, I think it's just about bringing it to life and, and, and so people understand what it is and they can be excited. When you can see how your data structure maps to things in the real world and real, real problems you're trying to solve in your business, then that's exciting. Yeah, you got me excited, man. I, like I said, I love data. I love, I, like, I love looking at architecture and stuff. But awesome. Um, what, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the best place to reach out to you? How do they reach out to you? And you know, where can they find you? Oh, you can find, you can email me anytime, nick at loftdigital.com. You can find me through LinkedIn, Nick Nettleton. Um, you can find me through Twitter, but I'm not a regular Twitter user at, at Nick Nettleton. Um, yeah, reach out to me anytime I'm here. Awesome. And I'll have all that stuff linked in the show notes below. But uh, I'd, I'd like to end this with if if you had any advice for yourself or anyone that's starting in down this uh, tech journey, what would you tell them? Oh wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, uh, always work with really good people. Um, I think finding the best people to work with is is is, is crucial um, in the journey. Um, and secondly, um. Be, be purposeful, I think. Take time to really sort of think through each thing you want to create and why. Um, that's not the same as sort of prevaricate, take forever. You know, that doesn't mean you have to go into a kind of a long, slow planning cycle. But it's just about being deliberate in the decisions that you're making. I love it. Um, Nick, I want to thank you so much. Um uh, for everything you're doing and hopefully you will be doing in the healthcare spec we need more people like yourself i'm i'm not recording video but if i was people could s literally see he has been smiling and really you can see the passion just in him so we need people like you more people like you in the sector to help people like us 
uh, dig us out of our hole. So I really appreciate what you're doing. And thank you for your time. I, I honestly thank you so much. So much. Well, thank you so much, Zane. I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it.